Right, so our focus um, this year is on spiritual transformation. It's really the second element of this idea of discipleship, that there are three elements of discipleship. That's our choice that we choose to follow Jesus Christ, that, that transformation is the idea that, uh, that, that God changes us. He works in our lives as we choose to follow him. And then finally, he calls us to mission. Last week, we looked at that there were uh, basically four harmful effects to having a busy life or living in this busy world. We talked about the idea of worry, that we, we lack trust in God, preoccupation, living in the future rather in the, than in the present, boredom, just giving ourselves to things that really don't matter, disconnection, the feeling of, of loneliness, isolation. And we saw that these are all symptoms of a busy life. And we saw also from the example of Martha and Mary last week that there are three principles, the idea that it's our choice. God gives us the choice to say that we are not going to live this way. That secondly, we want to spend time, less time speaking and talking to God. We don't want to bring God into the busyness. Rather, we want God to take us out and to be with him to find peace in our busy world. And then finally, that look for that one thing that, that really does count for eternity, to really say that each day, each day is not a waste, but really that, that, that God has done something for eternity. And today we wanna look at another very important aspect of living in a busy world, and that's finding peace in a world that is so busy. And this is this capsulized in this idea of living in the world but not being of the world. Now this is actually not just a clever play on words, it's an idea that Jesus actually referred to quite often, this delicate balance of what it means to be, in a sense, a, a, a world changer rather than a victim of the world in which we live. Jesus doesn't respond to our uh, busy world by saying, oh, I'm gonna take you out of this, but rather he says, I want you to stay in this world, but I want you to live different. I want you to live by the power of the Spirit that you can make a difference for Jesus Christ. He says really that the choice is ours, whether we allow the world to dictate our lives and dictate our emotions, or whether we ourselves are going to really retake our lives and find that peace that God really wants to give to us. I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 17, verse 13. John chapter 17, verse 13. Let's stand for the reverence of the word of God. Now this is Jesus' prayer in the garden for his disciples just before his arrest and his crucifixion. And he's praying to God and he says, now, but now I'm coming to you, meaning I'm coming to the Father. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them, the disciples, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in your truth, for your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in your truth. The Lord bless the reading of his word. From this passage, we're really going to uh, look at what it means to really be in the world, but not of the world. And basically, this is, this is both a command as well as a, a truth. And so we want to ask the question, what's the difference between these two very simple prepositions? Now, prepositions 
uh, defined relationship. That's kind of a, you know, a kind of an English grammar thing. And so when Jesus says, I speak in the world, but yet in verse 14, he says, I'm not of the world, this is actually very significant. The first proposition, preposition in, in the world, describes physical location, that Jesus is physically in the world. While he's in the world, he's imparting his teaching, as his, uh, his words to his disciples while he's in the world before he leaves it. The second preposition, however, is very different. He says, of the world, of the world is a matter of nature. It's a matter of spiritual uh, position or belonging. That even though Jesus walked in the realm or in the physical world, he was not by nature earthly. He had a position and an identity and a belonging that was not of this particular world. And if you look at the verses in, in this particular uh, passage, you look at verse 13, 14, he says, the world has hated them, the disciples, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, emphasize there. And then verse 17 says, you have sent me into the world, and so I send them into the world. And so Jesus here is speaking about the world in terms not of like the planet, but rally, rather of a, a spiritual domain as we're in this world. This idea that, that this is a place of, uh, of darkness, that the world is, uh, is controlled by spiritual forces, that it lives according to the values and principles that are antithetical, that are against the things of God. They work against God. And Jesus clearly says, as a son of God, he says, I am not of this world. Meaning, Jesus says, I am not subject to the negative influences and the powers of this world, including the crazy busyness that takes away you know, our soul or that hurts our soul. Now, Jesus on earth, he had a pretty busy life, okay? It wasn't that he lived in a mountain and just meditated you know, all day and everything happened. He was very busy. Jesus was exhausted sometimes from ministry. Uh, he would withdraw on a boat just to get away from all the crowds pressing on him or he would take his, his disciples to a, a private place in order for them to have rest, for him to spend time in prayer. When Jesus took on this human flesh, he felt hungry, he felt tired, he felt uh, exhausted from the busyness of this world. But yet in this world, while he was in this world, Jesus lived a perfect life. Now, it's not just perfect morally, but everything. He was perfect in love. He was perfect in rest. He was perfect in peace. That he did not allow the busyness and, and, and the craziness of ministry to overcome uh, or to control his life. And, and the, the, the interesting thing is that Jesus says that he says, I have made known to you, the disciples, everything I've learned from my Father. He says, whoever believes in me will perform the same works as I do myself. And this is what God, Jesus is just saying here that he's not saying like, I'm this ideal person that you just have to live up to someday. I always figure like, um, you have know, those motivational speakers where all the kids come in and then, you know, uh, uh, somebody will come in, some, some speaker like Steph Curry, and he says, you could be like me someday, you know, if you work hard and you're sitting there thinking, no, they can't, <laughs> you know, 
mean, they're not going to be like him, you know. He's, they're not just, you could say that, you're going to be like me, and everybody can be inspired, yeah, I could be like him, but they don't have the power or the resources to actually be like Steph Curry. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, he doesn't stand before us and say, you could be like me someday, and we're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like him, but we can never be like him. Jesus actually says, yes, you can be like me. In fact, he says to the disciples, whoever believes in me will perform the same works as I do myself. Meaning that he gives us not just this inspirational picture of saying you can live with this peace in this world and this perfection of balance in this world, but I give you the power through the Spirit to actually live as Christ lived. Meaning, kind of in a sense, there's no excuse for us not to live this way because Jesus became like us so that we can, in a sense, become like him. He says we can do this. Now, in this passage, as we think about how Jesus, you know, lived, what does it mean when he says, I'm in the world, uh, I'm sending you in the world, but I'm not of the world? So what are these things about him that, that, that show this balance? Well, I'd like to uh, propose that there are basically two characteristics and two directions in this passage. The first is two characteristics, and there are two characteristics characteristics about Jesus that describe being in the world but not of the world and that is intimacy and obedience and you see that in his prayer in John chapter 17 verse 3 it says this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus whom I have sent whom you have sent I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do and now father Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, in this one verse, in this prayer, we see references to both intimacy and obedience. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. There's a clear sense of relationship and intimacy here. And he says, even says later on, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And you just get this feeling like, I was with you since the world existed. This, these words of this beloved son, this, this, this closeness that he has with uh, his children. Henri Nouwen writes this, he says, we will never understand the full meaning of Jesus' richly varied ministry unless we see how many things are rooted in one thing, listening to the Father in the intimacy of perfect love. When we see this, we will also realize that the goal of Jesus' ministry is nothing less than to bring us into the most intimate communion with God. So basically, Jesus is telling us, you cannot have the peace that passes understanding without an intimate relationship with God. And I really do believe this is one of the issues, this is more the issue than busyness. And we always say busyness is what drives us crazy, busyness is what makes us tired, busyness is what saps the life out of us, but I really do believe that it's really not busyness. It's the right, it's, it's not having the right relationship with God. Um, when we have a right relationship with God, when we're walking in intimacy with him, we're at peace, even if the world is crazy. Um, there was this story, I, a long time ago I told this story, but there's this, this like uh, contest of these two people, and, uh, and they were trying to say, uh, who can chop down the most trees? 
And so this one big guy was like, you know, I, I've been doing this all my life. I can do it. And then this smaller guy, he says, there's no way he's going to beat me. And so they said, on your ready, on your mark, get set, go. And they start chopping trees like crazy. And the big guy, he's just chopping trees like crazy. And the little guy, he's trying to chop trees down. And the big guy's noticing that every, you know, every, every like half an hour, the little guy takes a break. You know, he's like, oh, I don't need a break. I'm just going to keep chopping all the way down. And, uh, and then they get to the end, and then they measure it all up. And... Uh, the little guy wins. And the big guy says, I don't know how you won because I was chopping all day. I didn't take one break. And you, every half hour, you were going off somewhere, taking a break. Uh, how did you win? And uh, the, the, the small guy said, well, every time I took a break, I was sharpening my ax. <laughs> and you're like, oh. See, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we can work hard like crazy, doing everything we can to try to overcome life. But as soon as the ax gets dull, um, we're, working, we're working harder than we need to in this world. And if we take those breaks, and I hate to call them breaks because they're not breaks. They're like the most important issue in our lives. If we take that time to sharpen our spiritual life, to really say that the things that are important, the thing that's really going to get me through the day, the thing that's really going to get me through the relationships, through the conflicts, through the struggles, through the hardships, is my spiritual life, my relationship with God. But if I don't spend the time uh, strengthening and sharpening that relationship with God, uh, then I'm just going to be trying to chop you know, things down like with a dull axe and I'm just going to be working so hard, my muscles are going to be so tired at the end and I'm still not going to accomplish as much as I could if my spiritual life was strong, if my walk with Jesus Christ is strong. And it takes that time to say I need to take the break or I need to take that time to set aside from all this busyness of thinking that I can win by just working so hard and yet neglecting the thing that's going to really... Um, accomplish that's really going to make the difference in my life this this sense of of sharpening this axe and and I, again in the community group um in our community group we were talking about you know redeeming the time and 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 trying to make the best of our time and i was sharing that you know there are times when i would sit and just pray and i take these uh prayer retreats on uh saturday sometimes and you know sometimes it's like I still have a lot of things to do. I'm like really, really busy. And I'm like, oh, you know, I could definitely use an extra three hours to work on my sermon or I do use extra three hours to get this done. But I find that when I um, give two hours of prayer to God and say, I'm just going to put aside and go and I'm going to pray with God, just be with him um, for two hours and not worry about the sermon, not worry about Sunday and all that kind of stuff and just listen to God. I find that, and this is, this happens, I find that the sermon comes together much faster. <laughs> like God enables me to save time or maybe meetings go faster or there's not as many obstacles or there's not as many struggles. You ever notice like, and I was telling this to the group, you ever notice like when you're in a rush, it seems that all the stoplights go against you? It's like when you're in a real rush and you really need to get there and you're like, I'm trying to speed and then all the red lights come up and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going as fast as I can between the lights, but I'm still not getting there very fast because the lights keep stopping me. And I feel that that's kind of the way that, that, that we are when we're, we're not praying or we're not being with God. We're working really hard, we're moving really fast, but then there's a stoplight and we're like, 
and we sit there because we, you know, because these obstacles come into our lives because we're not walking with God, because we're not giving God the things that, that he deserves. And instead, we're trying to go really quickly to save time, but in the end, we're not really saving time because we keep hitting roadblocks. Why? Because we're not walking with God, because we're not allowing God to come in and really make things move in the way that he wants them to move. And, and, and we really do, I, I really do believe we actually save time, literally save time, when we give more time to prayer. Because God, you will find that there are times when the day goes faster, things go better. Uh, life is just moves a little uh, uh, smoother because we are walking with God. Uh, now, I'm not gonna guarantee that, but I will say in my life, I have seen that true. During those times when I really pray and set those, side, those times aside, the sacrifices of, of that time, uh, God redeems the time uh, a lot better and a lot more than what we're, what we can do just with our, our busyness. Um, so that's the first characteristic, is this idea of um, relationship with God. But there's a second characteristic, and that is obedience. Basically, uh, th- this is not just a second thing. This is actually a second part of one thing, that obedience and, and relationship and intimacy are, are intimately connected. There's no intimacy with God um, without obedience. In verse 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom I have sent. And I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus' intimacy with God is manifest in his complete and utter obedience to the will of his Father. That he was doing God's will. He was honoring and obeying God. Uh, Noan writes in his book, Noan just said, when you think about Jesus, you think about relationship. But he also says, everything we know about Jesus indicates that he was concerned with only one thing, to do the will of his Father. That's the second part of his quote, that not just about obedience to saying, I love God, not just about relationship, I love God, I'm with God, oh, you know. Uh, but really, it's, it's this idea that um, my, my love and intimacy is seen through obedience, because love is always a really tricky thing to quantify, right? If you say, well, how much do you love someone? Uh, when we're little, we say, you know, I love you this much. But again, what is this much? Um, there's this, uh, you know, if we say, uh, there's a show, this uh, play, musical called Fiddler on the Roof. It's a really old one, but it's like one of my favorite favorite uh, musicals, because I, f- I find it just really profound. It's about this father, this Jewish neighborhood, this Jewish ghetto in Russia. And um, the father has three daughters. And as, as they try to hold onto their tradition in the midst of this foreign world, each daughter progressively marries someone that, that is further and further away from what the, hu- the, f- the father and mother like and want for their children. And they have to, the father and mother have to keep giving up, uh, sacrificing their traditions and their uh, desires as each daughter marries another person they don't like and this person even farther away and even this person even farther away. And the first person is like a tailor and the father's like, oh my goodness, why marry a tailor for? We always wanted you know, her to marry somebody else. And, but, but then, um, Everybody tells him, no, you should let her marry because you look at how much in love she is with her, him. Look at how much in love they are. And um, 
And so he, he eventually lets them get married. And it makes him start thinking, and he goes to his wife, and he sings this musical, this song, which I really love. And he, he, he goes to his wife, who's just busy cooking, and he says, do you love me? And she looks at him going, and she goes, what are you talking about? And she goes and does her stuff. And then he looks at her again, he says, do you love me? And she goes, why are you talking about that for? I'm cooked for you, I darn your socks, I, I, I do this for you, I raise your children, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, yes, I know, but do you love me? And she goes, why do you speak those things? She says, I do this, and she's singing, 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 and he says, I know you do these things, but do you love me? And then the wife says, I've done these things for 30 years with you, and if that's not love, I don't know what love is. And then he says, so you love me? <laughs> and, she goes, and she goes, yes, I guess I do. And then that's the song. And, but it's, it's a very powerful song. I love that song because it's the sense where these people have been married for like, you know, 30 years, 40 years. They're old now. They see their children uh, going away and doing these crazy things for love. And, and they're sitting and reevaluating their relationship and saying, you know, do we really love each other? You know, how do we think about the love that we have? And, and, and the mother says, well, uh, the wife says, after we've done all these things for each other and we're there for each other for these you know, 30 years, um, caring for each other, loving each other, serving each other, I've been there for you when you're sick, I take care of you, I, 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 I worry about you, I take care of everything that you need. Uh, if that's not love, then I don't know what love is. And see, that, that reminds me, it makes me think about this idea that love and obedience, love and service, they, you can't separate them. Uh, if we say, you know, I love my wife this much, then I should be doing the things that God says I should do for my wife, placing her needs above my own, leading her, nurturing her, protecting her. If I'm not doing those things, how can I say I love her this much? Uh, if I say I love God this much, Am I doing the things that are upon God's heart that he loves, that are important to him? Am I honoring his commandments that he has given to me lovingly, knowing that this is for my good? Uh, am I keeping my, doing my best to keep myself from the things that break his heart? Because these are the measure of the love that I have for God, the intimacy that I have for God. And that's why really, in a sense, we talk about love and obedience. These two characteristics, side by side, love is quantified, measured, and almost in a sense defined by obedience. That this is a part of what it means to love God. The second aspect of, of, of um being in the world but not of this world is two directions. So it's two characteristics and then two directions. If you look at verse 17, uh, Jesus prays and he says, sanctify them in the truth for your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So uh, Jesus now speaks of sanctification. He prays for the sanctification of the disciples. And sanctification means to be actually set apart from something to something. So sanctification is, is one movement, but it's in two directions. Because whenever you're going from, whenever you're moving in a direction, you're going towards something and you're going away from something, right? 
If you go this way, you're, you know, so, so it's one direction, but there's actually two, uh, there's two movements. Oh, there's one movement, sorry, and two directions. And, and Jesus says, I want to move to another passage, that what he says to us, it says, when we are sanctified, when we love God, um, we move away from something else. It says, he says, in, this is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is also written by uh, John. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, in this passage... John actually sets out this path of sanctification. It's in these three verses and it's really distinct. He'll say, you know, if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Uh, all that is in the world uh, is, is of the world and not from the Father. Uh, the world is passing away, but God abides forever. And so you have this kind of like a, this, this path of sanctification. You have the love of the world and you have, make sure I got it this right, the love of the world and uh, the, the love of God. And we are on this path. Let's see, this thing has a pointer, right? It doesn't have a pointer? Okay. We are on this path. We're somewhere, we're somewhere here or maybe here, here. But see, the question is not where you are. The question is which way are you moving, okay? The question is like, um, are, you, are you moving towards God and away from the world? Or are you moving towards the world and away from, from God? Now, we may say, well, you know, I love God, everything, but if you're moving towards the world, like I'm really like moving towards the things of this world, um, you're actually moving away from the love of God. And we don't like to think about it that way. So, no, I always love God. I, I, I've always loved God all my life. You know, why would I be moving away from God? Well, if you're moving towards the world and all the things that the world represents, um, those things are completely opposite of the things of God. So to move or to love the world means to, to move away from the love of God. And um, so when we, when we think of this question, which way am I moving, uh, John actually gives us uh, three specific things that talk about uh, the world and its desires. Three definite kind of, they're not definitive categories of sin, but they're like specific aspects of worldliness that we can really say, well, if I really am moving towards um, the love of God, the love of God, <laughs> if I'm moving towards the love of God, these type of things uh, should be changing or, or growing in my life. And so um, there are kind of three things that, uh, that he talks about. He talks about the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, again, these things are kind of, you know, what are they? Um, the desire of the flesh is any attempt to satisfy our needs and desires apart from God. Okay, this is like, these can be legitimate needs. They can be saying, I want love, I want security, I want contentment, right? We all want those things. God provides love, right, through Jesus. He says, I loved you so much, I gave my son for you. God provides security through his promises. No matter what happens to us, we're in God's hands. God provides contentment through his provision, that he will always provide everything we need. 
But you know, if we seek to feel love and we say, well, the only way I could feel love is if other people love me. Uh, you know, if other people, you know, my, my love is, is, is connected to other people. If we find security and say, well, the only way I could feel secure is if I have enough money or if I, uh, uh, you know, work hard and depend on myself or if we say, the only way I can feel content is if I get everything that I want in this world, then actually that's considered living according to uh, the desire of the flesh. And so the question we need to ask is am I trying to satisfy my wants and needs apart from God? Is there any area in my life right now, things that are important to me, things that I really want, but God's saying to me, you're not doing it in the way that I want to give it to you, or you're not finding your love in me, but you're seeking in other things, and that's why you are anxious and worried about so many things, because you're never gonna be at peace if, 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 if we're moving in the wrong direction, we will never be at peace. If we're always catering to, if we're thinking about love and, and trying to find love in people, then we're never gonna be at peace. We're always gonna be worried about what people think of us. We're always gonna be trying to please people. Why? Because I can't find my love in God. It's gotta be in people. If, if I, I can't think of my security in God as enough, then I'm always gonna be worried about whether I have enough money whether I'm living in the right place, whether I've made the right decisions for my family. It's never gonna be enough because we, we we're trying to find our security through the desires of the flesh. Uh, if, I, if, if I try to do it by the world, try to satisfy my needs and wants uh, and, and my, find my joy in things of this world, then we're never going to be happy. We're always going to be wanting more. We're always going to be feeling like this is not enough. I always got to find something new. I got to find something better. I always got to keep that thing going because it never lasts. In fact, it, less, it lasts less and less now the more and more I try. Why? Because we're trying to satisfy this desire for joy and fulfillment apart from God. We're trying in the world and this creates that's what creates the, the, the struggle of busyness and the emptiness of busyness. The second issue we call, is called the desire of the eyes. The desire of the eyes is a heart and life that looks to physical things, primarily towards physical things. Okay, and the simple question is, is my life directed towards the things that are visible or invisible? I mean, are my joys and wants always focused on what I can see? And if, 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 if I see people that are doing really good, then I'm like, I want that because that's what it means to do good. Or, or if people are complaining all the time about the situation at work and complaining about this, and I feel like, oh yeah, that's right. Life is terrible. I should be I should be miserable right now because everything that I see around me and hear around me is so miserable. I should be, I should be so upset. And, and, and these are things that are, are outwardly what our eyes see, what our ears hear, and, and, and it, we're allowing the, the, the desire of our eyes, the things of our eyes, the things that we see to determine how I now feel about life, right? I don't have this, I don't have that. Oh, I want this, I want that. Those are things that determine. But yet, if we think of spiritually and say, can I feel the presence of Jesus with me, which is invisible, which I don't see with my eyes, but in the situation right now where everybody's complaining, can I see Jesus with me and be so thankful that I have a job, that I can minister here, that even though maybe we don't meet the deadline or, or people are gonna 
you know, have their way, but yet I can be that minister here and see God at work here, that that's what's more important to me. Um, can, in the difficult times, in the, in, in the difficult times, can I see the plan of God at work in the struggles? Those are the invisible things. Can, and in the times when things are really comfortable and I feel like I don't have to worry about anything, but can I still, still see the things that God wants me to see in this situation? To say, don't lie back and just goof around, but do this because this is really needed right now. Those are the invisible things that the desire of the eyes can't see. And God is saying, if we want to be sanctified, we need to move away from this, just looking at the world, evaluating the world, feeling based on the things we see, but really being moved by the invisible. The last is the, the pride of life. And, and that last question is very simple. Is my identity and sense of worth connected to the things of this world? Am I wrapped up in, I mean, basically, we don't say I'm a proud person or whatever. We never say I'm a proud person, but hey, am I wrapped up in how I look? You know, if I had a bad hair day or a bad haircut, am I really upset? If I have a really good haircut, am I like, I can't wait to get to school so everybody thinks I'm great, you know, or things like that? Uh, am I uh, concerned about how smart I am? Uh, what grade I got? What standing I am? Or the fact that I'm in this class or that class? Or, 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 or I'm accomplished and I have this position or, or you have that position, things like that. Um, these are all the pride of life. It's, it's, it's using material things or worldly things to evaluate how I feel about where I am and, and how I treat other people. That's the pride of life. And see, that's the thing about um, sanctification. Sanctification has nothing to do, the, the, the peace in this world has nothing to do with circumstances. I mean, you could move away from Silicon Valley and move to um, Hawaii or something or wherever the most relaxed place in the world or in the States are, and you will still be anxious and you will still be empty and you still will be filled with worries if we don't sharpen our acts, if we don't think about our relationship with God. Because that's really what it is that causes the, 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 the struggle and the, 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 the things that we complain about in being such a bus in such a busy world, but, but it's really not the busyness of the world, it's the choices that we make within this world, the way in which we live. In this busyness, we always have that choice to move in the right direction. And when we move in the right direction, when we uh, choose intimacy with God, when we choose obedience to God, we will find the peace in this busy world that's not of this world. We will make every day count for eternity. And I don't mind being busy for that. Each day when we make decisions, we need to ask, Am I moving closer to the love of God or to the things of this world? Uh, and when, we, when we move towards the love of God, life is no longer boring, it's no longer resentful, it's no longer depressing. In fact, the more and more we move towards God, the less and less the power of this world is gonna have on us. Here, like when I was a kid, um, okay, when I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of money, so like the toys that we got for Christmas were not like super toys. Like I remember getting magnets one time, and I was like really excited. You know, I got these magnets, and you could like play with them, and you could they have these like iron filings. 
And what, what we used to do, my sisters and I, with these magnets, is we used to try to, you know, there's a point where you, you can push them and they push apart, and there's a point where you, if you turn them around, they, they suck together. And so we would always try to play, like, how close can you get it without them touching, you know? And it's like, you get closer, closer, and boom, oh, you lost, you know? And so my sisters and I, like the three sisters, we'd play with these magnets, and we'd be, like, so thrilled at Christmas time with these magnets, trying to see how close you can get it to, you know, it's stuck, and it's how long you can hold it so close to each other. And I feel like that's the way we, we feel about this world. It's like, you know, I know I'm not supposed to love this world, and I know I'm supposed to stay separate from this world, but let's see how long I can stay really close to this world without getting stuck to it, you know? And rather than putting the magnets in, you know, two different sides of the house where I was like, oh, let's see how close we can get, you know? And the closer you get, obviously when this is not so bad, this is not so bad, you start getting closer and closer. You start feeling the pull and the forces of that magnet until it, the point where it's like, I can't hold it any longer. Oh, can't hold it any longer. And that's how we play with the world, right? We say, oh, well, I know I'm supposed to be apart from the world, and I'm supposed to be on one side, and God's, you know, I'm supposed to love God on the other side, but you know, I'm going to stay really close to the world, as close as I can, and see how long I can hang on. And poof. Next thing you know, it were the, the forces of that world, of the world, the temptations of the world, they'll just suck you in. I mean, if that's what we want to do and say, hey, on this chart, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, uh, so I should stay on this side to be fair to everyone else on this side. <laughs> if we say, oh, I can't even reach. If we say, oh, well, I'm going to stay right here all the time because I'm going to have so much fun because it's going to be like, I'm going to be right next to the love of the world, but not in the world yet, not of the world yet. So I'll stay right here all my life and I'll be fine, you know. But no, what you're doing is you're like that magnet where you're staying so close to this world, the forces of the world are so, will so overcome you, even as a Christian, because you're so far moving away from the love of God, that the, the ability to resist temptation, the ability to say no to ungodliness, the ability to see through spiritual eyes, the ability to live with the peace of Jesus Christ, the ability to have an eternal impact on the world in which we live um, will be overcome by the forces and the power of this world just really working hard on us because we're standing so close. We stay so close to the world. When I was in uh, college, we used to play this game because um, uh, we, we, we were on the sixth floor of the architecture building and they had these, these things that would these, these concrete things that would fling out as far as possible. And we used to have this, this contest to see who could stand the farthest or the closest to the edge. So we'd all stand here, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a six-story drop, and we'd go, okay, everybody step forward one time. We're like, okay. And then pretty soon it's like stepping here, and you're looking down, and it's like see who can stand the longest looking down, and it's really scary. And the thought to me is like, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, now I'm thinking, why did I do that for? That's so stupid, you know? I, I could have fallen and killed myself. Why play this stupid game of seeing how far on the edge you can be until you die, you know? Uh, when you could just sit in the room and be fine, you know? <laughs> and I feel like for Christians, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, hmm, how far along the edge can I stand as a Christian uh, in terms of being, uh, like, uh, getting everything I want, getting all the money I want, uh, getting the house that I want, getting the lifestyle I want for all my kids, and, and having them marry uh, rich and famous people, and then I can retire, and they'll take care of me, and, and I can have all this, and then when I retire, then I can maybe pray a little bit during that time, you know, whatever. But um, it's like, 
we're standing on this edge thinking, yeah, I, I, can, I can do this. I can handle this, God. I could stand right on the edge and have everything be as close to this world as I want and uh, nothing's going to happen to me. And, and the question is, is why? Why in the world, Christian, would you choose to do that for? It's ridiculous. These, these, these are the acts of an of a, of a immature child, a, a stupid college student who thinks it's fun to play with your life, something so precious. Would you play with your life, your spiritual life? Would you play with the things that God has given to you for his purpose, that the world would just overcome it and destroy? You already feel it, right? We already feel it, how miserable it is how hard it is. And God says we have the choice right now. And as we take communion, this is the moment now where we take our time to really um, appreciate that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for us. And, and when we take communion, when we commune with Jesus Christ as well, taking communion also gives us that opportunity to really reflect and to meditate and say, what are the areas in my life that really are not in line with his will? not obedient to him, that if I say I'm going to come and I'm going to love God and I love God so much, what are the things in my life right now that um, are not really that loving? So let's go ahead and let's just spend some time in quiet meditation. And when you're